we, we have to fix this housing and childcare thing. And I know it's a worldwide problem. It's happening everywhere, but let, let's, let's do this. Let's get it together. This is Can Do, a podcast that explores the essential lessons for business success. As the world continues to feel the effects of the coronavirus, uncertainty and unpredictability have become the status quo. It has never been more important to learn from entrepreneurs and industry experts about their experiences and to hear their advice. Whether you're a business owner, entrepreneur, your career is affected by the current economic climate, lessons shared by our guests can help you make informed decisions about your future. I'm your host, Arnie Sherman. 2021 began with a lot of uncertainty about the future, and it has ended the same way. With the onset of the COVID-19 Omicron variant, economists are again scrambling to predict the virus's effect on productivity and employment. In this country, analysts have quickly downgraded their predictions for economic growth, inflation, and overall vitality. How will these changes affect Montana directly? How should businesses plan for the coming year? What can we learn from our local experts and business leaders? Joining me on Can Do today to tackle these questions from a ground-up perspective are Dr. Robert Tino Sonora, Director of Healthcare Research and Senior Research Professor at the Bureau of Business and Economic Research at the University of Montana, and local restaurateur and businessman Jason McMacken. Support for this episode of Can Do is provided by the Dennis and Phyllis Washington Foundation, dedicated to investing in people to improve the quality of their lives. Additional support comes from the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. And Parsons, Bailey, and Latimer, a regional law firm with national experience, representing the interests of Montana entrepreneurs and businesses. More information at parsonsbailey.com. Jason Tino, Happy New Year. Welcome to the show. This is our first show of 2022, and I hope that we're going to be able to start it off just right. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning to both of you. Tino, what kind of economic headline would you put on 2021 if you had to? Uh, Uncertainty. That would be my headline. Um, There's been so much uncertainty associated with the pandemic, obviously. Um, You know, we're getting a lot of mixed messages from the CDC about what's going on. Um, But clearly everything is, there's been just so much uncertainty surrounding everything that's gone on with this pandemic. When will things get shipped? Will they get shipped? Uh, Et cetera, et cetera. What is the Fed going to do? The Fed is trying to read the tea leaves. The tea leaves are very muddled. Uh, We've had a lot of uh, issues with the fiscal side of things with the federal government trying to uh, pass a variety of different spending packages. And, and, you know, is is that going to get through? I mean, what sort of roadblocks have there been in terms of of getting our, our, our policy done? So I would just say uncertainty is, is would be my my word, um, and just and that encompasses a lot of different things. Risk is obviously uncertainty about when people are going to are, are going to return to work. Where are they going to return to work? How are they going to work? I mean, you know the 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 you know we could go on forever talking about this. So we entered twenty one with uncertainty, and now we're entering twenty twenty two in uncertainty. Is this two year period more intense than in recent memory for? Uh, not understanding or not knowing what's going to uh, transact? I think so. I mean, you know, uh, when I 
you know, 10 years ago when they had the financial crisis, I thought that would be that would be the big one that I would experience in my life, that we would have this. Again, there are a lot of uncertainty surrounding there, although that was very concentrated in, in, a, in, a, in the financial markets. And obviously that bleeds into other aspects of, of the economy. Uh, but this is just so much more all encompassing um, with where things are going and how things will pan out. And, you know, right now we're worried about inflation. I think even six months ago, we thought inflation was probably going to happen, but maybe not on the level it is happening or, or where it's coming from. Uh, and then new news comes in, new new information comes in, new 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 Greek letters come in, and suddenly we're faced with a whole another set of circumstances that we thought we'd gotten past, and and we're kind of back to square one. Uh, I just saw today that you know we you know, we just passed the highest number of of cases uh, like yesterday or today, you know, higher than the last wave. Um, so we just uh, you know. I, I've, I don't think I've ever, I mean, none of us have experienced anything like this. Um, it's not a great depression kind of, of thing, but it is a very uh, unusual, shall we say, uh, idiosyncratic kind of economic uh, experience we're having. Jason, you're, you're in the restaurant business, and I want to talk to you about the hospitality sector in general. But tell us a little bit about what you do as a restaurateur. Right now, I'm one of the owners of uh, Burn Street Bistro, which is on the west side of Missoula. It's kind of uh, off on its own. Um, we kind of we do breakfast and lunch during the week and brunch on the weekends. Uh, the way brunch worked in the past was we packed them in. Um, people stood in line for 45 minutes to eat, and uh, we would just have as many people in the building as possible. Um, so obviously not being able to do that is a problem. And we also cater quite a bit, uh, weddings and other special events during the summer. And that's really important for us because that money that we make during the summer gets us through the winter. And so without those events this year, we've had, well, so far so good. I'll just, who knows? It's, it's not quite, you know. We're just getting started into the deep winter when things usually uh, slow down by 33 to 50% per day. Uh, we're also, for some reason, opening a restaurant downtown Missoula in the next three weeks. Uh, it's called Brasserie Port Rouge, uh, classic French dining, um, lots of beer, lots of wine, but... Uh, uh, yeah, we're doing the remodel down there right now. There's a half a dozen contractors working. So there are people working. Jason, your capitalization of 2021 as someone who's running an existing restaurant and trying to start a new one, what, what would you say overall? Um, it, I think we have this uh, really weird, uh, and when I say we, I mean me and the, and the, my business partners and, uh, uh, we opened at the very end of the last uh, financial crisis that was brought up. And everyone was like, what are you doing? And, you know, and that's when we, we thought that's when rich people do stuff, right? Rich people do stuff when the economy is in rough shape. People are selling things. I don't know if this is true. It's just a thing that, that I say. Um, but it feels like people with money make moves when the economy isn't in great shape. So to us, this is... Uh, just another, it's just part of the deal. Like, of course, we're going to open a restaurant in a pandemic. Why wouldn't we? Who wouldn't want to do that? Um, and it's not that we're not worried. 
we just have this weird, uh, I call it jaded optimism. And I think it's very Gen X, uh, which I am. Um, it's like, it's, it's a little bit of the quote, whatever Gen X, like we're going to try this. If it doesn't work, whatever, if it works, cool, whatever, maybe we'll do something else later. And I think the pandemic for me is kind of the same thing. It's like, of course there's a pandemic. Why wouldn't there be? Or why, why, why wouldn't we wear masks? And part, I think a lot of us are getting used to wearing masks and especially in customer service, we kind of like it. Um, yes, it's annoying, but I guess it to honestly, at this point, I'm going to stick with, uh, whatever, man, like <laughs> I'm 48 and I feel like Every five years, it's some damn thing that I ha can't control. So I'm not surprised. So we got a combination, you know, of uncertainty and whatever. And that's probably a good way to capsulize what's been going on. But in 2021, there was some interesting phenomena that blossomed. We had the Great Resignation, and it's still going on. We, have, uh, we had more jobs than jobless in 42 states. So what caused that change in our workforce? Uh, you know, the great resignation usually happens uh, every year, but not on such a mass scale. So if you think about uh, any given sector, there is going to be a great resignation as, as the economy kind of goes through its natural churn and we start developing new sectors and new sectors kind of die off and other sectors kind of sprout up. So there's always kind of this general sector specific kind of great resignation with a small G uh, this year with a great resignation with a capital G it's, it's, it's been much more holistic and, and you're seeing it. And, you know, I'm kind of curious to see what Jason has to say, because, you know, it's hit obviously the hospitality industry pretty hard, whereby people are just kind of fed up with it, uh, the relatively low pay long hours, and they just want something different. Um, you also see people who are having to resign for, for other reasons, like they have childcare or they have to take care of family members or, or they just want some, or they just want to retire early. You know, maybe they've, they've managed to save up enough that they can, they can actually retire. So there's a whole host of things. And then obviously some of it has to do with, you know, I, I think on, on, on some people think that the, that the, the high insurance, uh, payments for unemployment insurance kind of increased the incentive to, to not work. So it created a disincentive. And so some of these things were shortened. Um, I, I think most economists kind of agree they weren't as successful as, as they thought they would be. Um, and so what we're seeing is, is what economists sort of refer to as a structural change in the economy. And not only is there a great, res you know, people resigning from their work in search of other types of, of employment, but you also are going to start seeing, and I think this is part of that uncertainty. And one of the exciting things is just the way we work is going to be is changing. And I don't think that's anything that anybody's, that's not revolutionary thought. I think that's, that's something that's going to be happening. And, and um, you know, mechanization throughout every sector where you might not have anticipated there to be any kind of mechanization. Uh, now suddenly there's mechanization. You know, you walk into a McDonald's and you used to go and actually talk to somebody to order. Now I just punch it out on a machine or I can do it on my phone. And so, you know, what what roles do people start having? Are they are 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 people who are doing uh, service type jobs just going to be there to do a very small percentage of what they used to do? These are the kinds of questions we have. Again, I know this is a very sort of disjointed answer to a, to what seems like a very simple question, but it, but it's not. Um, and and the implications for this down the road are 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 legion. And I don't. I don't know. You know. I don't think anybody can say with any kind of clarity what's really going to happen. Um, you know, where 
you know, with trade, with, you know, if there's no trade, then, you, then what are those guys going to do? What about trucking? Is, you, know, you know, truck drivers are starting to retire. So how is stuff going to get from A to B, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it's, yeah, it's very complicated. So Jason, how has the pandemic affected your workforce? It's made uh, our workforce more uh, leery about customer interactions. I also think it, the pandemic has improved our interactions. At our restaurant, um, our staff has been given the power. The customers do not have the power. Um, the staff does. So we like it when the customers do what the staff says. The customer is not always right. And we have a very kind of an odd setup. It can be very confusing. So you should listen to your barista when you come in. It's not a big deal. It's nothing personal. Um, and I feel like our staff really appreciates that they have the power and we haven't had the problems that I've heard about, um, other restaurants or just seen online with crazy customers and people lying on the floor, not wearing masks and just acting like children. We just don't have those problems because we foster an environment where our staff is respected uh, by us, the owners and by the customers as well. What about turnover? And, you know, I mean, other restaurants have had experiences where, you know, it's very difficult, even in normal times, to keep, you know, dishwashing positions filled and other sorts of things. So how has the, uh, the pandemic affected your, your uh, maintaining workers or recruiting workers? We are doing great. You know, once again, we always have a hard time finding dishwashers. It's always hard to find bussers. It's always hard to find people at the very bottom of the tier. Those people are just as necessary as, if not more, than the people at the top of it in a restaurant. I don't think we're having any more trouble than uh, 2018. Like, I can't find bussers right now. I'm sure I will once uh, school is back in on January 3rd. Someone will pop by. But as far as I think our reputation as... Um, people know we fostered a quality work environment. Um, so we're not having the trouble that some other places are having. And I don't know what goes on at other places. I can only speak for us, but we took the pandemic seriously. It's known throughout the Missoula restaurant community that we did. And the people that work in the industry appreciate that. Did you have to raise your wages? Yes, we did. Tina, you know, what is the minimum wage going to be in 2022 in Montana? Well, we're, it's going to be raised to $9.20 um, starting uh, on January 1st, which is a couple days from now, but it would be $9.20. So we, we, do, we always raise everyone else's uh, wages accordingly, which is tough for us, but we do it. So, And, you know, when you do thing, the little things like that and when you offer uh, earn time off and sick days... You don't have a hard time finding people when you make a schedule that is two weeks out instead of, well, it's Saturday. I don't know if you're working on Sunday or not, which is normal for a lot of people. You know, we don't have as hard a time finding people as maybe a place that doesn't offer those things or doesn't give you a, a, a usable schedule. And as uh, Tino mentioned earlier, the uh, childcare thing, if you can't schedule two weeks out around someone's childcare you're never going to have a staff at a restaurant and that's male or female. I mean, I, I was the stay at home dad during the pandemic. 
I did school. My wife worked um, when we were closed. Um, and so childcare for on our end, I bet you, is the number one problem we have or will have at the brasserie as well. Um, just people, how expensive it is. It's availability, all the usual stuff that everyone's been talking about the past year or two. Well, it's good that you've tackled that head on and are aware of it. And that's important. Tino, so all these factors are floating around. Inflation, the pandemic, supply chain disruptions, um, escalating real estate prices, uh, escalating construction costs. Yet the stock market went up 20% in 2021. Is there some kind of disconnect going on? Yes, uh, there has been disconnect for quite some time. I think it, the, the true disconnect started happening um, during the financial crisis. You, and a lot of the stock prices, um, particularly when the stock prices fell at the beginning of last year, a lot of the rebound was from stock buybacks. Um, you saw the same thing happening during the financial crisis with stock buybacks once sort of things kind of settled down a little bit. And so you do get companies buying back their stock, which helps drive up the price, keeps shareholders happy. Uh, anybody who owns the stocks, of course, is happy. Um, but that that's kind of what's going on. And, and there has been a disconnect um, in on any given day. You know, we I don't look at stock prices. I tend to look at trends. I mean, I don't listen to financial markets on a day, day to day basis because it's it's not necessarily tied to any kind of fact. And, you know, to be honest, you know, you, you hear the pundits on the radio or TV say, you know, oh, stock prices fell because of this or stock prices fell because of that. Uh, you know, that's that's just well, that's an event, right? An event happened and then the stock prices re reacted. But I wouldn't put any stock on those day to day fluctuations. So if you're looking at those trends, you know, yeah, the economy has bounced back. It's bounced back pretty strong. It's still probably about, I don't know, um, sort of guesstimating two to five percent below pre pandemic trend. Uh, but suffice to say, it is bouncing back and, 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 and people are buying stuff. I mean, you know, we got a, lot, a, boat, a boatload of savings came into the economy with with all these uh, stimulus packages that came in and, and unemployment insurance. And so that helped bolster people's spending. Um, spending did increase quite a bit. Uh, one thing that I'm sort of looking for now, and I think others are looking at that decline in savings has fallen quite precipitously over the past um several months. Um, and so people's savings are starting to run out and whether or not we're able to sort of continue this level of spending coming going forward is going to be something that not only stock markets, I guess, will look at, but I think all of us will be looking at. Um, will people um, start kind of hunkering down a little bit more? It looked like we had uh, for 2021 a, a GDP growth in the U.S. of about 5.6 percent. And I think Given Omicron and you know uncertainty, as you pointed out, I think the projections for 2022 are more modest. You know, in the threes somewhere, three percent GDP growth. For the person listening to this, what does that mean? What happens if the GDP goes from five percent growth to three percent? Well, first and foremost, remember GDP dropped precipitously, um, and so we're you know we have not rebounded. You know a you know a ten percent drop from a hundred is not the same as a 10% increase from five, right? I mean, that's, that's the very different numbers, you know? Um, and so, you know, we're recovering. We've had a 5% increase last year over a very steep drop, which is why I stated earlier that we're still behind trend. I mean, it's still below what it would have been had the pandemic not happened. 
And so we are recovering. And the reason we're going to be slowing down next next year and the years going forward, I mean, we're going to probably in the you know, 2022, 2023, probably go back to sub 3% growth if we return to trend. It's just getting back to that trend and that you get these sort of like Nike swoosh uh, shaped recoveries where you get these pretty steep declines and then it, it takes a while for things to kind of get back to where they were. And so when you're, you're, you're recovering from a relatively low sort of uh, valley, shall we say, and trying to get back up to trend, it, it's going to take some time. And so what you're seeing is the economy kind of adjusting back to its long run trend and long run growth in, in the United States uh, when you've adjusted for inflation is, is usually about in a ballpark two and a half percent per year. And that's that's pretty normal. I mean, poorer incomes, lower income countries tend to grow faster because they're starting from a lower base. Higher income countries tend to grow at a relatively steady steady rate of about two and a half percent in the absence of these kinds of positive and negative shocks. And this is certainly the negative shock we're experiencing now. I'm speaking with Dr. Robert Sonor and business owner Jason McMacken about the 2021 economy. Support for this episode of Can Do is provided by Montana Rail Link, committed to safely delivering transportation solutions to their customers and partners. Additional support comes from the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. And Parsons, Bailey, and Latimer, a regional law firm with national experience representing the interests of Montana entrepreneurs and businesses. More information at parsonsbailey.com. Jason, you mentioned you have a new French bistro opening in Missoula, Montana in the next couple of weeks. What issues emerged during this pandemic period that you didn't plan on as you started your new restaurant? Um, I wouldn't say we we didn't plan on them because of the uncertainty. We knew like prices of things would change. It's the what it's what the things are. So for example, um, foam of any kind is really hard to come by. So the beer cooler we looked at 18 months ago was like, I don't know, it was like $19,000 installed. Um, now it's $30,000 and it's still not here. Um, and you think, well, so what? Okay. I don't, I don't know why foam isn't available. No idea. I'm not even sure I know how it's made. So you think, oh, well, that's just coolers and whatever. Well, we can't get chairs either. Um, I had to get chairs. I had to order chairs I didn't want. Um, and I ordered the chairs I wanted as well. And those will be here in like six months. Um, we're having some custom made chairs and our upholsterer uh, is in, I believe he's about 70 years old. And he apologizes every time I pick something up from him because he is just baffled by how much the foam and the chairs are it costs. So like we could never have thought that one of the things that would make us go over budget was the cost of foam, right? Like no we don't no one knew that. So anyways, um we kind of had a bad feeling that things would cost more and we're just prepared for it. Uh we made a menu last year. Um with prices on it. And we made the new menu and it has different prices on it. Mostly higher, um, mostly not lower. And I'm not sure this is kind of a, a question, but like, is inflation real? Like, <laughs> why is it being, is it, are people taking advantage of shortages to say that there's a shortage of everything, literally everything. So everything has to cost more. Um, I don't know. I just, I just feel like I'm 
I, we do feel like we're being taken advantage of. But once again, there's nothing we can do about it. You still got to buy the stuff we want to open. Still have to have chairs. We could have wood chairs, but you know about the prices of wood. So, so Tino, that's a good question. Is there really inflation? Is this an you know is this an, an institutional inflation? Is this you know uh, a uh, thematic COVID-related inflation? Well, what what what's how do you answer, Jason? Okay, so this our inflation is is basically twofold, um, as it turns out. Our inflation is both supply side and demand side. Um, on the demand side, uh, clearly there's a lot of money that was thrown into the economy uh, from those unemployment checks. Um, and so people did buy more. Um, now, I wanted to say that because interestingly, uh, the United States took a very different tactic than the European nations did. The, Euro the Americans basically let people go on unemployment and then gave them money. And then so people are sitting at home with money and they're either saving it or buying it. And, you know, obviously savings did rise quite a lot. There's there's a lot of evidence suggests that if people get a sort of unanticipated income increase, they save a, a percentage of it for 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 darker times, if you will. Um, whereas in Europe, what they did was they basically said, no one is getting, no one is losing their job. And what will happen is you will keep your job. And if you work five hours a week um, out of a 40 hour work week, say, then the, your employer will pay you that five hours and then the government will make up the remaining 35 hours. So life didn't really change that dramatically in Europe. Um, from a working perspective. And so what that does, obviously, is it makes it that your, your job is secure. You don't have to worry about trying to find a job. You don't have to worry, you know, employers don't have to worry about losing employees, et cetera, et cetera. So you get a much more stable labor market. So while we're having, you know, 6% inflation, they're like in the three and a half to 4% range. So very, very different. Um, on the supply side, yes, there are there are issues. Uh, the price of shipping from a container from China to uh, the United States has risen from about two thousand dollars a container to roughly twenty thousand dollars a container. So stuff coming over from China has gotten extremely expensive. Now, the reason being is that a lot of plants have shut down uh, because of COVID. Uh, the Chinese have been very sort of a draconian about trying to get this thing into check and, and basically closing a lot of things down. And those, those, the, you know, we see that from foam. I had no idea about foam either, but, uh, but there's shortages of everything. There's shortages of cardboard. I, I've heard that, you know, we have no cardboard. So how are we going to ship stuff if there's no cardboard? Uh, you know, aluminum had a problem because they weren't able to produce aluminum for, for a variety of reasons. So, so breweries and stuff were having problems getting cans and looking for alternative ways to deliver, uh, uh, you know, any type of beverage. So this is just sort of, and then shipping costs have risen because, you know, we don't have as many truckers. And then, you know, removing the stuff off, off the containers has risen because all the longshoremen uh, can't go to work. And we have a lot of illnesses there. So, you know, it is, you know, I know there's, you know, from an economist, so that's that supply side thing that's going on is we're, it's just, it, it just, it's just this continuous supply side problem. And then couple that with the demand side that we've had here in the United States vis-a-vis -vis other countries. And that's what's driving a lot of our inflation. Are you seeing any evidence of, of price gouging? You know, price gouging is something that you can't, you can't, you can't identify. You don't know. Um, you know, the market is, so the way the market works is like, if somebody is willing to pay for something, then it's not price gouging because somebody is willing to pay for it. So if I have a piece of plywood 
And I'm, I'm, I'll say, I, I'll, I'll spend $10. I'll, I'll sell you this piece of plywood for $10. And somebody says, I'll give you $50 for that same piece of plywood. Somebody is willing to pay that price. And so is that gouging or is that me just taking, or is that me saying, look, somebody wants to give me $50 for a piece of plywood. I'm going to sell it to that person for $50 because obviously I can get a higher price. Um, and so that's, it's, it's very hard to detect and it's very hard to prove. There's other things you can prove, things like dumping. We, we can certainly look at dumping, which is actually selling goods and services below, below sort of cost. But, you know, gouging is, is really hard. So, I, you know, most economists get a little bit uh, uncomfortable. And I, you know, when I, I'm on these kinds of shows, I, I put my economist hat on. And so we get a little bit of, uh, we're not that, I don't think we're that comfortable with the idea of price gouging. Um, and it, 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 it's difficult. I agree. And what you also have to bear in mind is it's, it's not everything is be affected as much, similarly, right? So inflation is the overall price level. Um, and so we've had a lot of things like, well, the price of, of uh, you know, inflation's up 6% or 7%. Well, what, you know, but price of used cars has gone up 60%, but that's part of your overall basket of goods. That's part of inflation. And if you're not buying a used car every month, which most people probably aren't, then they're not being influenced by that price. That price is not part of their own personal CPI. So there's a variety of other types of measures which we can look at, which also consider overall inflation. Um, and this kind of gets into definition of what is inflation and what is part of inflation. And so we have what is known as the core CPI, the core consumer price index, which is sort of the benchmark inflation rate. Uh, the Fed uses the core price of consumer expenditures, which is a slightly different um, calculation and how it's done, which removes food and, how, and, and energy prices, which are very, very volatile. The Dallas Fed puts together a, an additional index, which is called the trimmed mean inflation rate, which takes out prices which have fallen the most and prices which have increased the most. And you can sort of get a list of these of these of these various different things as they as they rise and fall. And, you know, that's that's currently in the four percent range. So but I mean, I understand that you, know, you still have to buy eggs and if eggs are rising at 50 percent, then, then that, that's part of your thing. But it's a relatively small percentage of most people's consumer expenditures. Um, finally, I just want to say one thing too, is, you know, I know that a lot of smaller businesses because of increased competition have to absorb, you know, wholesale or producer price prices. And so increased competition kind of squashes down consumer inflation, but smaller businesses or any type of business has to absorb some of those other cost increases because of competition. You know, Jason might not want to lose his business to another restaurant. So he might choose to keep his prices relatively stable so that he doesn't lose that. And he's saying, look, I will absorb these costs as long as I can. And then at some point, something's got to give. Uh, I just was reading today that, you know, uh, Oreos and a bunch of stuff, they're looking for their prices to increase six to 7% because they just can't absorb those costs anymore. Now, whether or not that's, that's a fiction or, or what is actually happening, that remain, that that's a question for that we won't know for some time. But certainly if Oreos raises their prices and, and Nabisco does not and all the business goes to Nabisco, you know, then then they're going to have to lower their prices again. So, Jason, taking what Tino's just laid out to us and as you talk to your fellow restaurateurs and the folks in the hospitality industry, what's the general expectation for the industry for the coming year? <clears throat> uh, higher prices. The end. That's it. Everyone, all you have to do is maybe you hop on the internet and look at someone's website and they haven't updated the prices for six months. 
versus when you go in and you have a brand new menu. Something to be aware of. Whenever you see a brand new menu, I guarantee you it's not because they lowered the prices, right? Like new menu means new prices and they're higher. So we did decide uh, last week that for the new year, we're going to tack on 50 cents here and there throughout our lunch menu. Um, we, we just can't, as you said, absorb the costs anymore. So you're just seeing, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm 48. I still sometimes think of lunch as like $5 for some reason, which it hasn't been for a very long time. It's been $10 for a long time. And in fact, lunch is actually 15 in reality. Um, but I, I could see, you know, we used to kind of scoff at like a $12 hamburger, right? With fries. That's pretty much what it costs everywhere. Um, and so I, I just be ready to spend a little bit more when you go out to eat. Is there a countervailing pressure to change items or reduce the quality or take, you know, instead of having a, you know, a cheeseburger that's 12 ounces, you have one that's eight ounces. How does that all factor into this, this pricing issue and, you know, trying to balance supply versus demand? I mean, I, I don't think we could do personally. I mean, if we made something smaller, we would tell everybody. Um, but if you think about, say, a chain like where it's like they have 18 slices of pepperoni on their pizza and they're like, well, let's do 17 across the whole North America, that adds up, right? That kind of stuff doesn't add up as much for us. And then, like we were talking about, you know, less quality, less interest. Maybe I'll go somewhere else. It's more satisfying. It used to be good here. It's not good anymore. I don't know why. And then you you find out, well, it's because it's smaller or they took out the expensive ingredient or whatever, you know. Um, so we would avoid that. Um, maybe some uh, a different kind of restaurant, a more fast food kind of place wouldn't. Tito, let's let's drill down for a minute and look at Montana. Just focus in on our local situation. How did we fare comparatively in 2021 and and what's your outlook for 2022? Uh the outlook for 2022 is, you know, Montana lags the rest of the economy, the rest of the country uh by a little bit. We're a small economy and so, you know, kind of we go where the winds blow somewhat. Um, especially, you know, we have a very, fairly large tourist industry. Um, and so that's, that's going to, that's going to be a big part of, of how things go in the future. Um, Montana's done pretty well. I mean, you know, we, we recovered our labor market, gotten back to pretty low unemployment rate. And I'm sure Jason, you know, uh, can attest to that as trying to, and he's mentioned that just trying to hard to find people. Um, but we've done, we've done okay. You know, I think, uh, there's going to be some churn. Uh, certainly we had some issues in some, some industries. Um, you know, our biggest, our biggest thing is going to be the housing, housing industry. I think we're, we're well behind on building and, and there's just, uh, we're going to, we're going to struggle on that. And I don't think that's going to be necessarily statewide. I think that's going to be obviously in a, in, in a, in a subset of markets, you know, the usual suspects. So you might, you know, Bozeman, uh, Kalispell, Missoula, maybe a couple others are going to be the ones that are going to be impacted the most in terms of housing costs. Um, but, you know, again, that's that supply chain thing. You know, are there builders around? 
who who people are booked months in advance you know it's not like you can just call up somebody and say hey can you just change my bathroom really quick so that's those kinds of things are gonna are, are gonna take some time to bleed out i think um so that's going to be, I think, the biggest sort of headline for Montana. Maybe that and energy. We'll see what happens with these energy prices as well. Um, and, and obviously tourism to see if, if the tourists do come back. And then again, with this, with the with the COVID, uh, there's that all that uncertainty again. It, it just it just comes back to rear its ugly head. And that's another thing that we haven't really discussed, too, with respect to inflation. It's just as Jason was saying, he's got to raise his wages. And, and that starts to just kind of tighten that 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 profit margin that much more. And again, that's, that's everywhere. So everybody's having to, to raise wages and that, that puts a little cost pressure on, on inflation as well. So that we have to sort of think about, um, and what, and if people don't return to work, then the, those, those workers won't be there. Jason, if you're talking to the Missoula chamber of commerce, what advice do you have based on your experience and your orientation to, to how you've handled the last year or so, what advice do you have for them as they move into 2022? Stop advertising Montana to the rest of the world until, until we get this housing and childcare thing figured out. I'm telling you, I've worked at ski hills off and on since I was young. I've watched it happen in Colorado in Wyoming at big sky and it's, going to happen here where suddenly you just don't have any staff because a one bedroom house is $300,000. Just stop for a minute. We have plenty of tourists. It's great. Love them. Thanks for coming by. We're good. The internet has made, has revealed all the awesomeness that we get to experience every day. So we, we have to fix this housing and childcare thing. And I know it's a worldwide problem. It's happening everywhere, but let, let's, let's do this. Let's get it together. Um, I don't know what else. That's it. That, that, that's it. That's it. Tino, from what I understand, many other countries have figured out the child care issue and it continues to haunt businesses pre-pandemic, during pandemic, and it's going to continue to be a major issue post-pandemic. What should we be doing or what are they doing that we're not doing? Well, exactly right. I mean, I think one of the pandemic, all of these issues that we're talking about now um, have kind of been in the shadows. Right. And so now the pandemic has kind of shown a light on these things. So we've had just in time inventory, for example, which is what Jason has kind of experienced kind of involuntarily is that, you know, if he needed foam, for example, he could just order the foam and then his supplier would go to his supplier, would go to her supplier, et cetera, et cetera. And the phone would be there in, in two weeks. Um, but now that's that just in time inventory. You just need, you get it when you need it. Um, with respect to childcare, it, it's, it's, it's been, you know, the United States is the only country that does not have federally mandated maternity leave. Now that does not mean that individual companies or businesses don't give their employees uh, leave, but the United States is the only developed country which has zero days of mandated health care. Um, you know, you have some countries which have up to two years of paternity or maternity leave. And I believe that you can actually, you know, you can trade off like the mother could go for six weeks and then the father could go for six weeks or the mother could go for six weeks and the other mother could go for six weeks, you know, however you want to dice it. And so you, we don't have that. Uh, we don't have maternity leave. 
you know, uh, at all. And so that's something that's really lacking. And a lot of this comes from the sort of universal sort of healthcare. Um, and that, that has that, what that does though, is it really creates a friction to your labor markets. You know, if you have healthcare or, or I'm sorry, if childcare, uh, you can't suddenly just pick up and go to if there's a better opportunity in Bozeman, for example, you might be unwilling because you don't want to give up that that, that child care that you have. And so we have to, you know, the United States has to come up with a way. It, the system is broken. Everybody knows it's broken. Everybody thinks they have a better way to do it. But, you know, the pay is bad. I mean, if I, I don't have children, but if I had a child, I wouldn't want my child going to a child care center where the person that works there gets, you know, $12 an hour. I would want somebody who gets like, $5,000 an hour, but we don't have a system and it's so expensive and people can't afford the $5,000 an hour. So they are with the $12 an hour. And then there's, and then, then every jurisdiction is different and, and, and our requirements are different. You know, we did a study on what the cost of the Montana economy are and, and, and it's, it's substantial. It's, you know, it's, it's in the tens of millions of dollars a year to the, just to the economy. Um, so something has to, we have to get something. And do I have a fix for it? No, I, I, I'm afraid I don't. But I think the idea is we do have to come up with some answer. Casey, as an employer, you have something to say on this? Let's do it. Mandatory, figure it out. And I am tired. I won't argue with anyone about it. That's it. So I'm tired of, I'm tired of having to reinvent the wheel all the time with my life. The next generation is going to have the same problem. We are going to slowly but surely fall behind all these other countries if we don't figure this thing out. We're losing talented people all the time who are just, like Tino said, can't move or are afraid to move or whatever. It's it's just, it's a big thing. I think it's the biggest thing. And the housing and that, those are the two biggest things for sure. So what's the, what's the most practical piece of advice, Tito, do you have for small business owners as they head into 2022? Be vigilant. I, I you know, keep keep an eye on things uh, and don't be, you know, Jason, I think has been a great example. Just don't be surprised by anything. Uh, I think for the next couple of years, it's, it's going to be this kind of stop and go kind of economy until we kind of get back on an even keel. So just be aware of of things don't don't read don't try to read too much into things that are are you know make things up uh just try to just don't be surprised by anything jason tino thank you very much for uh joining me today enlightening our listeners and have a healthy and happy new year thank you thank you very much you too arnie i appreciate your listening to can do Produced by Lena Beck in association with Montana Public Radio. For comments, recommendations for future guests, or general information, please go to mtpr.org. There you'll find previous guests' contact information and content from all our shows. Listen next time and I'll talk with another business leader offering their insights and advice relevant to the challenges we all face. I'm Arnie Sherman, wishing you good health and prosperity.